you know, business has a lot of intricate parts to it, but fundamentally, the whole concept of it is not, it's not hard to understand. It's basically just free yourself up to, to do the things nobody else in the organization can do. This is the Authority Builder Podcast. This is the place to come if you're building a professional practice and you want to be seen as the leader in your market. We're going to interview the top experts throughout professional services, and we're going to share insights with you to help you grow your firm and be positioned as the only choice that clients ever want. Welcome to the Authority Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and we got a phenomenal interview for you today. If you've ever thought to yourself, man, I went to college, I studied for four years, maybe you went, got a professional degree, studied after that, and then you came out and you had to practice in your profession and you realized, wait a second, they never taught us how to really run a business in school, then this is going to be the interview you want to listen to. Talking with Steve Smith today, he is a seasoned professional that helps businesses and professional firms go beyond their current performance levels to reach their true potential. And I got to tell you, I, I see this and I hear this from professionals we talk to all the time that they really love the practice of their profession, but often they struggle on the business side. And so uh, so we're going to dive into that today. Steve is rated as one of the best business and executive coaching companies uh, in Orange County, California. He's coached over 700 clients to date. He's got experience with all kinds of businesses, and that really allows him to successfully coach professionals from a whole wide range of industries. Uh, and he's based in Southern California, been there uh, with his wife of 43 years and has four grandchildren. And uh, that's totally amazing. I hear grandchildren are way better than, than children, but you got to have one to get the other. So uh, Steve Smith, congratulations. Great, uh, great having you here. Yes, yeah, Steve. Thanks for, thanks for having me on this. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So before we dive into what I know is going to be some amazing content, give everybody a little bit of your background beyond the bio so they kind of can relate to where you've come from. Okay, the short story is that for my first 30 years, I was in consumer products manufacturing. And I'd worked for companies like General Mills and Lysol Chemical. And I worked for a small pharmaceutical company for a while. And uh, every one of these companies was just a, a great learning and development experience. Um, got, got an opportunity to spend lots of time learning, you know, management techniques, leadership, public speaking, a lot of this kind of stuff. And so 2008 comes around and all of a sudden, like, I, I said, I got to find something else. I mean, I've done this for 30 years, had a great time, but I think it's coming to an end. So uh, I was basically looking around for the same kind of job on a smaller scale, maybe something West Coast based. So I wasn't going to be flying every single day of every single week. And um, quite by accident, this is like, uh, this is a great example of serendipitous moments. Quite by accident, I ran into a lady who, her job was to help people from corporate jobs find what would be a great match for them in the small business world. And she was the one that introduced me to coaching. She looked at everything I'd done and she had done a little bit of research and basically said, you are perfect for this particular business. And there's a lot of people out there that could benefit from what you've already learned and know how to do. And so she, you know, I started looking around and I, I, I found a small franchise. They, Yes, they were new. They were only like a year into it. And, uh, but I, I fell in love with their coaching methodology and their marketing approach. I mean, everything just really spoke to me. So I invested, got in, 
you know, got, got up to my eyeballs in it like I do with everything else I get involved in. And uh, all of a sudden, two and a half years goes by and they, they run out of money and they file bankruptcy. And I can remember it like it was yesterday, you know, March 7th, 2011. I'm sitting in my office just like now. Wife comes in with coffee. The blood just drained out of my face. And I told her, I said, it's all gone. I've spent about $100,000 collectively in trying to get this business off the ground. And they've just, they've just closed it. You know, there's nothing else. And so she looks at me and, you know, she's like, well, your, your clients, you're, you're telling me your clients always stay with you longer than their, their committed time because they like working with you. Why don't you just do it yourself? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. And uh, I spent about the next 45 days repurposing everything that I acquired, putting in things that I realized were necessary that they didn't do. Their specialty was in sales, marketing, kind of getting your headset, you know, entrepreneurial stuff, okay? Important stuff. But I really was kind of living at a different level. I was, I was working with people who were already seasoned and running into trouble. And so I built in the leadership and the management, kept the mindset because it's really important. And, um, I, you know, growth source coaching was born. And, um, you know, I look back on that and I think, wow, what could I have done if I didn't have that $100,000 just kind of go down the drain? What well, didn't go down the drain? I could not be where I am today if I hadn't have done that. That's, that was my launching pad. That was my MBA program, if you will. And so that's, got, that's what got me here today. And, and um, I, I incorporated some other strategies, which kind of, kind of shaped the brand that I've developed here in Orange County and, and for clients that I serve in other states. And it's, it's served me well. It's been, I mean, I could be facing a, a, a solid week of Monday mornings and it wouldn't matter. By the time I'm done with that first coaching call, I am just hopped up and ready to go. So uh, it's been a great, it, it was a great decision after my former career uh, to be able to do this for as long as I want. And uh, I just enjoy every minute of it. That's awesome. Great story. And, uh, and congratulations on, uh, you know, making something out of the tuition that you had to pay to the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So in the audience are, are people in all kinds of businesses, but a lot of folks in, in professional services with firms of varying sizes. And um, as I alluded to in the introduction, they, uh, for those of us who came up that route um, and were educated and, you know, came out into the world, we got a lot of training on what it is we were supposed to do in terms of the area of practice and, and expertise and virtually none on business. So what are some of the, the things when you're working with someone like that, what are a few of the, the top challenges that they run into as they're you know, trying to, to grow a practice? Well, one of the things that I have learned is that when you deal with people in professional service businesses, and, and you named quite a variety of them, the hardest thing for anyone to come to the realization of is all the years and the money and the effort that you put into learning that particular, you know, industry or occupation, getting certified, getting licensed, all the other criteria you go through to be able to practice what you've learned how to do. The hardest thing is to be able to sit back and realize that's important, but that's like anting up in a poker game. You don't win the poker game based on your ante. And a lot of people that finally decide they want to have their own business and take what they've learned, what they've demonstrated their expertise in and turn it into their own, their own company, they realize pretty quickly that, okay, that was the ante. 
But if I'm going to make this thing run, I have to understand how a business works. And I have to understand how to guide people, how to lead people. And if I can't do those two, I'm going to struggle. And a lot of people don't make it. Yeah, they, there are an awful lot who don't make it. And I, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe maybe there are some some commonalities that that you tend to see pop up to keep them from being successful. Um, yes, I do. And one of the is it's it's what I call pride of intellectual ownership. Uh, there's so much that they hook on what they know that they don't bother to sit back and think, OK, if I keep this business nice and small to where I'm the only one involved, that's fine. Uh, for a lot of people, that's not enough to be able to live on. OK, to, to have without doing other things. So it's that whole idea that if I'm going to build this thing beyond myself, I've now got to know things outside of the immediate education and experience that I've acquired. I need to know, I need to understand finance. I need to understand marketing. I need, I need to understand process. These are all things that business owners that are really good and sustainable and build things and eventually can walk away from them and have other people do it. They learn this stuff early on. Because as they bring people in, the whole idea, and, and this is a, the phrase, I didn't come up with it, but it's well-worn out there, is the whole idea of working your way out of a job. If you're the owner, eventually you want to be able to keep bringing people in and kind of backfill to the point where everybody else is doing what you started. And for a lot of people that are in, in really um, educationally disciplined types of occupations, attorneys, CPAs, engineers, things like that, that's a real struggle because the whole premise for them doing what they want or what they're doing now is because they've amassed that education and experience in that technical thing. It's, I think it's very hard to give that up. I mean, there's a lot of your identity wrapped around saying I am a, you know, fill in the blank. Yes. Right. And it's, I think there's a ton of, of uh, just mental baggage around letting go of that. Um, And for a lot of us, when we started out, we really liked doing that work. That's what, you know, at a young age, right. we were attracted to it for whatever, whatever reason. So I, I would imagine that creates some, some real blind spots though, when it comes to running the business, like well, there's things you're just not aware of. Absolutely. And, and you, you just said it, one of those things is this is what I love. So I'm going to keep doing it. And the blind spot associated with that is, if you started treating, teaching other people to do it on your behalf, you could free yourself up to do more strategic endeavors, you know, like looking out the windshield down the road to say, where am I taking this business? But a lot of times people don't want to do that. They want to hold on to it. And one of the favorite responses I get when I start telling people about the value of delegating, it's like, well, no, there's nobody here that can do it as well as I. And I say, okay, let's go through a little bit of a, a test case on this, because what I find frequently for some lower level tasks is there's probably somebody in your organization now that can actually do it better than you if you give them the opportunity. But you're right. There is this kind of sense of pride ownership that people have attached to all manner of things that they clutter their day up with. And they either refuse to give them over or they've been doing it for so long, they really don't know a good way to give it over. They don't know who to give it to. And then once they give it away, then they want to keep going back in and helping them (laughs) when you ought to just let them alone to do what you've asked them to do. So a lot of it really goes back to mindset. You, I work extensively with people on helping to kind of rewire how they look at things in their business, because once they realize that 
the more I share, the more I develop, the more I give away, the greater my life is at some point, because now 90% of everything that this business you know, does is, uh, is run by somebody else. Yeah, well, and it's, it's so interesting. I think, I think a lot of that, that tension that's created is a pull between the familiar and the fear of, of the new or the unknown. Right. Uh, you know, you talked about looking out the, the, the windshield and thinking about strategy and those sorts of things. And, you know, if, if I've spent years training on how to do a particular, a, a particular thing, I'm very familiar with that. I'm very good at it at that point. You know, I've probably certainly had to, to pass some tests around it in college, probably had to practice with some supervision and, and kind of get signed off probably passed the test to get a license. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at this thing. I know it really well. It's comfortable. Right. But now you're asking me to do something that isn't very well defined, that I'm not familiar with, and I don't know what the parameters are for success. And that's terrifying, I think, for a lot of people. It is. And it really, depending on your risk tolerance, some people, their, you know, their comfort zones, the walls of that box are really thick. And so they're not going to go out of it for any, any reason. And usually what I'll get into a discussion with an owner about is, how big did you think this was going to be when you first started? What was your vision for what was going to be the end point of your, your efforts to grow your company? And, you know, you, you get people with typical responses. If it's a real small business, a lot of times, you know, gee, I want to hit the million dollar mark. I had a guy tell me this one time and I said, why is that important to you? And he goes, because if I have a million dollar business, my friends and family will look at me differently. Right now, they think I'm just kind of puttering around, just trying to figure out how to make more money. But if I'm at a million dollars, I'm a legitimate business person. And that was interesting because that I, I you know, mistakenly tapped into one of the things that had defined him. He looked at himself as not really legitimate, but once he hit a million dollars, he was all in. Everybody could look at him and say, now you're a successful businessman because you're doing a million dollars a year. Well, a million dollars a year today isn't huge. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of businesses all over the country that are way beyond that. But the whole idea is to figure out what's, what's the reward for you? If you want to make this thing multi-state, international, whatever, where is that line? And then I go back today and say, okay, what are you doing that's keeping you from getting to that point? Well, at some point when you have these conversations, what they realize is they are their own company's bottleneck. They have not been able to give away enough things for the people that they've hired and paid good money to, to help them grow it. So now it's choked off because everything ends up on their desk. And until they make a decision, it doesn't go anywhere. So growth is either an eye opener in terms of the cause and effect or on the tail end, if I, and I get quite a few people calling, they've been in business 25, 30 years, and they're telling you know, hey, I've had a great life, but now I want out. How do I get out? And then, you know, you go through that whole conversation, and you start to realize how much of the operation is tethered directly to them. And I said, when you find that right buyer that's going to pay you the market value and take this business off your hands, they don't want you coming with it. They want the, the SOP manual and the keys to the front door, and they want to go do, the, do their thing. And so if you can't detach yourself from the business without the business taking a severe hit, that's another reason you need to start thinking differently. So sometimes you have to find these ultimate pressure points 
that people have built up in their heads. And now they realize they're not getting there, not because the market's bad, it's because of them. So how much of a, a shift is this for people that you work with to go through? I mean, is it like flipping a switch? They can do it fairly quickly, or is it a, a long drawn out struggle for most? I try to move it at a pace that people can get through it within the first amount of time because all of my, my coaching agreements, they have to be with me six months. If they're not willing to make that commitment, then it's probably not going to work. But what I've learned with my own stats is that people's light bulbs start turning on somewhere between four and seven months. Now, a lot of things get done, you know, before that, but in terms, and I can tell, because a lot of times my clients, they'll, they just do phone calls, you know, because they could be in the car, they could be at home, they could be at a restaurant. They just want the mobility of just being able to get on the phone. And it's good for me because I can hear their tone, their pitch, the way they're bringing discussion topics to the conversation that they've now bought in. You can hear it. And it's great. It's a great sound because now you realize okay, I still need to do things. I need to make changes in what I'm doing, but I'm in control now. I know what I need to do and I bought on. And so some people take a little longer. Other people, depending on what is going on in the moment that they really need to get away from, depending on how, how hot the fire is under them. I've had some people make those adjustments in two or three sessions. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, having been through that transition and, Two businesses now, um, the faster you make it, the better off you are. <laughs> yeah, but people don't realize that until they've already gone over it. You know, the right. comments like, well, why didn't I do this two years ago? You know, so yeah. everybody says that. Just don't worry about what you didn't do two years ago. Now that you're here, let's look forward and see what else you need to do. Well, let's talk about that. So one of the, the key things that has to be done then to go through that evolution is you've got to be able to have people to give things to. If they're coming off your plate, they've got to go on someone's plate. You know, I guess not everything. You could choose not to do some things, but a lot of it's got to go on someone's plate. Talk a little bit about what it takes to develop people um, and some of the things that you focus on with the, the professional firms that you work with and helping them develop people. All right. So, and, and I'm speaking to organizations like law firms, CPA practices, a lot of these companies are billed by the hour, okay? They might have projects, but everything boils down to a certain amount of hours that you need to have billable throughout the year. So as they bring people into the organization, there's almost this immediate need to go into production mode. And at that point, that's all the stress, okay? Are you, do you have your hours up? Are you calling your clients back? Are you getting your deadlines done? And, and so they're on a treadmill. And some people adapt to that and other people leave and they just, you know, I don't, I didn't sign up for this. I'm going to go find something else to do. So they deal with some turnover. And so when I work with the folks at the top, the thing I try to let them know is before you introduce them to that treadmill, find out a little bit about the individual themselves. Okay. What is it they want? What is, what is their motivator? Your job is not to motivate them. Your job is to find out what motivates themselves. And there's usually three things that everybody really wants. One, they want to be paid for the, you know, for what they do. Okay. So that's, that's a paycheck every two weeks. You know, some, some people today, they want, you know, pay for every little thing that they do. All right. But you need to know what motivates them from a compensation standpoint. You need to know how they want to be acknowledged. 
You'd be amazed at how many people are in an industry, in a job, in a company for years and years and years and never get real, genuine acknowledgement for the value they bring to the company. Sure, they get the annual performance review. They probably get a lot of critiquing along the way about what they're not doing, but they never totally feel appreciated for the values that they bring. Understand what that looks like to them. And then thirdly, find out what their aspirations are. I'm sure that the job you've offered them today is not what they want to be doing for the next 20 years. Find out what that looks like. What, is, what do they see their path as? Help them get that. If you can do that and you have somebody stay with you three to five years, you've beat the odds in terms of turnover. So invest in them. Let them know that you're not only there to hold them accountable to do the job that you hired them for, but you have their back. You're willing to do whatever it's going to take to make them the absolute best they will ever be. And if you can demonstrate that in a genuine fashion and people feel that, you will have built a level of trust and loyalty that you literally cannot buy. And it doesn't take a rocket science to do that. It just takes a little thought up front in terms of how you stage the orientation process so that you build the relationship first. And then you say, okay, treadmill's over there. You got to jump on it. You know, but it's that whole idea of figuring out who they are as individuals and what they really want out of this arrangement called employee boss. Yeah, I think that's so critical. I mean, it's, it's so very easy to take for granted. Someone shows up, they're at their desk. We've got all this pressure of these engagements, these projects to, to get through. And uh, that's one of the things that I found most challenging in my first business was bringing people in and then trying to make sure that we were growing in a way that created a career path right. for them, that there was, for those who aspired to more, that there was a way to do that. And I, you know, I, I saw so many firms where people would come in and, you know, you'd meet them and, and they were almost dead inside because they had been in the same role for a long time. They'd given up whatever aspiration they had, and there was no hope of them ever going anywhere because the, there was no vision from the leaders and the firm wasn't growing. Right. right. And, that, and that, if you don't do that and people immediately kind of level out in those particular areas, then down the road, when you're looking to, to delegate work to people, um, that's where you start getting the resistance. And that's why a lot, of, a lot of bosses will say, well, you know, they don't do it right. I have to end up doing it over. So I'll just do it myself. Or I can't delegate to this person because they don't accept accountability. And I ask them, well, how do you do that? What's your process? And what I almost find is that people are, they're what I call task delegators. They're basically looking to get stuff off their plate that they don't want to do. So they're finding somebody else, usually with, with space on their plate, to hand it to. Worst move you could make, because that person's not motivated to take that on. They're taking it on under duress. So a lot of times what I will tell leaders is find people who want to grow, who want the development opportunities, and match up the delegatable projects to those people. And if their plate's already full, and it usually is because they're the better operators and everybody wants them doing their stuff. Exactly. And give that to the other people who don't show any initiative. But reserve the plate space with your best operators for your highest, most important projects and let them learn on it and develop on it. And like I said earlier, they'll probably be better than you at some point. You just kind of monitor it and oversee where they're going with it. You, you've killed multiple birds with one stone doing it. Yeah, well, and it's just, it, it's a great way to really move the needle 
you know, because you're, like you say, you're getting the most important things off your plate and you're getting them in motion. Sometimes that's the most important sort of quality is just to get something in motion sometimes. And, and so I, I think people kind of, they underestimate the value of, of at least having something happening on it, even if it's not all completely perfectly taken care of the way that you would want it, you can still have some input, but if somebody's, you know, got it and moving it forward, boy, what a, what a relief it is. Well, I was just, I was just reading a story, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago and, and they were talking about this guy's approach to delegation and his philosophy was, I'm going to tell you what I want and I'm going to tell you when I need it and I'm going to reserve the how for you. You come back and tell me how you do it. And if it seems logical to me, it might not be my way, but if it seems logical to me, we'll run with it. And if you need help along the way, I'll be glad to jump in and give you help. But once I tell you what and when, I'm going to let you figure out how to do it. And he, in, in, in this story, he was basically saying he had people lining up who he knew didn't have the time to do stuff that were looking for development projects to get their hands on. Well, I think the other... The other key advantage this gives you, I mean, particularly now where finding talent is a, a pretty big challenge, word gets around that this is a place where you can do big things, you can be involved in big projects, and it, I think it attracts the best people to you. I agree with you. It is. But like I said, many businesses, even ones that are generally well run, they're so mired in tedium and, and urgently screaming tasks that they don't get away from the business long enough to really kind of survey the landscape and say, how are we doing? You know, is there anything going on in our backyard that we haven't paid any attention to for which our competition has picked up and run with? And another thing that I'll do with people, depending on where they are in the hierarchy, I'll say, okay, you've got a stick in front of you. And on one end is strategic and the other end is tactical. And what I want you to do is think of a traditional week for you and tell me what percent of your week is tactically focused versus strategically focused. I just had this conversation on Friday with a guy and he's pretty high up in the organization. And he told me, he told me 90% of his week is tactical. And I know he must have read my facial expression when he said it, because I said, <laughs> do you realize that that should be flipped? Your week should be 90% strategic and 10% tactical. He goes, yeah, but that's kind of where it's gotten. Almost as if he had nothing to do with it. It just kind of worked to the point where he was in the weeds all day long, which was one of the reasons I was working with. But um, a lot of people don't really, they don't take it down into simple terms. You know, business has a lot of intricate parts to it, but fundamentally the whole concept of it, it's not, it's not hard to understand. It's basically just free yourself up to, to do the things nobody else in the organization can do. Like, where are you taking the business? And what are you going to run into? And what do you need to navigate so that everybody else can continue doing great work and not be inhibited in their progress? And if you can maintain those kind of simple principles about your role as the CEO or the owner, you'll probably get through just about everything fine and continue on for as long as you want to have your business. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um... I hate to do this to you. I'm going to ask you the most unfair podcast host question ever. God, are you, are you willing to play? Uh, yes, I'll double down. Okay. All right. 
What's the one thing that somebody listening to this should think about starting with if they want to begin to to move out of, you know, being in that situation where they're they're that kind of in the weeds, you know, owner producer and get into more of an owner leader role? And I tell everybody that I work with that has kind of gotten into this situation, or maybe they're at a point in their business life where the business just hasn't produced enough, you know, enough stuff. You know, it's sit down with a piece of paper, no computer, just a piece of paper and a pen, one sheet of paper. And I want you to write down in great detail what you want your business to look and operate like some point in the future. Doesn't matter how far out you look, everybody has an end destination, something where they say, I've arrived. I want you to write on one sheet of paper exactly what that looks like. And then we're going to look at it and say, here's what you're going to need to do and and develop and have before you can actually have that. And you'd be amazed what people will write. I mean, and I tell them, the more detail you can provide, the easier it's going to be for you to have it in reality because now you've got a picture in your head you can follow. If you don't have any sense in your head of where you're going, it's it's a a circling the drain kind of approach. And you're going to pick up all the scraps of everything going on every day and and they're going to stick to you like flypaper because you're the only one you think can fix the problem. So if you don't have that vision that will guide you and tell you what this thing needs to look like and kind of force you to think outside of your own box in terms of how do I fix this growth problem? You know, I want to do X, Y, and Z, but I only have three people. Well, I need a fourth and I need a fifth and a sixth. You need to bring them on and develop them in a certain logical framework that, that, that allows the company to build, not just become a, a bigger scattered version of what you have now. So that's what I tell people to do. And it works really well. It gives people almost an opportunity to get away from the the day-to-day and just say, sit back and, gee, nobody's ever asked me what I want this thing to look like. Well, now I have an opportunity. Now I got to write it down. I love that. You handled that that uh, very difficult question masterfully. I always love that. What's the one What's the one thing as if it were ever that simple, but I think that's a great starting point. Well, we could probably go on for hours uh, about this. I, I love this particular topic, but uh, I, I, I want to make sure that we're respectful of both your time and for the listeners, we give them um, a way to, to connect with you if they want to learn more. So, Steve, where, where should people go to, to learn more about what you're doing and how you help? Um, if you go to growthsourcecoaching.com, that's my website, um, you can learn about me. You, there's videos all over the thing. You can actually listen to my perspective on certain parts of business, which I find very helpful for somebody that might be looking to retain somebody like me. You really need to know how I think and how I approach stuff because that's going to leak in to the work that we do together. And if everything on there looks good, you can either fill out a little box or my phone number's on every single page. You can call me direct if you like, and we'll just have a conversation to see if what you're looking for and what I provide are a match. And so I tell everybody to go that way because that gives you the opportunity to do all your, your, your investigation. And if it looks good, if you call me, if it doesn't, then you're free to go look elsewhere. Awesome. We will link all of that up in the show notes. We'll, uh, we'll link to the website and, and make sure people can get there. And so um, I appreciate you coming on today and sharing some of your wisdom with us. And this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I, I thoroughly enjoy these kind of conversations. So I appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. Here are three ways you can expand your authority. Number one, get a copy of the Million Dollar Book. In it, I show you how to multiply your authority by writing a best-selling book in less than 90 days guaranteed. After all, you're the best spokesperson for your ideas. Go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash book and get your copy. Number two, join me for an upcoming Write Your Million Dollar Book Accelerator and let's jumpstart your authority building book now. For upcoming dates, go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash accelerator. And number three, work with me and my team to get your book done and bring in business. Email me at steve at authoritybuilderpodcast.com and put, I want to write a book in the subject line. See you soon.